wrong numbers. Give me the number, sister. No. Uh-huh. 96. I got them wrote down on that list up there next to you. Songbook, turn to number 91, stand together and sing number 91, what a day that'll be. Yes, Mama. 
talked to her this afternoon. That's what she was telling me. I'm glad to hear she's better. Uh, I haven't heard any news from Miss Nell any different, so I'm assuming we same. We just need to keep lifting her up in prayer that, that God gets that leg to working again. And uh, what else? Mary Ruth, I know we lift her up in prayer, but anybody else? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm Facebook friends with him. I'm trying to place who he is exactly because it's been so many years since I've been up there. Yeah, he listens. He listens to our stuff every now and then. Well, let's lift Randy Weems up in prayer tonight. Uh, I've got unspoken request, and I, I know Richard's got unspoken request. You do too. Yeah, there's a lot of that. God knows what they are, and God knows right what to do. I'm thankful. I'm confident in that. And he's, and I've, if I can tell you this, I just want to testify right now. What I have seen over the last few days is that God can make a way where there ain't no way. God can fix things that we think are broke and can't be fixed. God, God's a fixer. That's how to do it. And uh, God, I saw God flip a situation that looked hopeless into something that, that, that got hope in it now. And if he can do that right in front of me, I know he can do that anywhere else. So I just want to give him glory and praise him for it tonight and, and encourage you, if you're feeling down about what you're asking God for, don't feel down. God's like, you know, we just have to get enough people bound together in prayer. I told, I told the person I was praying for, I said, you know, I just put on, I just put, a, I put simply, I put the message and some of y'all seen it, if you ain't on Facebook, you didn't see it. But I just put out there that day I was hurting and I just put out there I'm in desperate need of prayer. And people just all over the country just responded in droves. And I apologize, I didn't put that on the church thing. I just, just at the moment, I threw it out there. And I told the person I was praying for, I said, those people don't know what they're praying for. But they were, I said, and, and in two days' time, that situation looked completely hopeless. Holy So, hallelujah, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. You're able to, God, God answers prayer. Amen. So let's go to him tonight. Let's carry all our prayer requests tonight, and let's ask God to deal with him. Robert Lewis. Amen. Thank <laughs> you. 
that if you have somebody in your life who is doing some foolish things, you'll take note of these truths, and when you get a chance to whisper in their ear, here's what God has to say. Not, here's what you better do because I said so, but here's what God has to say. And, you know, once you know what God has to say, if, if the Spirit of God is at all working in you or working on you, the Word of God's like a hammer, and it can shatter you right out of the blue. You don't even think you don't even think you got a crack in you nowhere, and boy, the Word of God will hit you like a jackhammer and just shatter you in a million pieces. I, I remember it doing me that way a number of times when I was just starting to grow. Uh, God get a hold of me about something, and I'd see something, and He'd just shake me to my core. And I'm thankful for every time He has. Amen. Proverbs 13, verse 19 tonight. Through 25, let's just go ahead and go to God in prayer and ask him to meet with us tonight and bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you. Father, we thank you that you meet with us. The Bible says we're two or, get, two or three gathered together in my name. I'm there in the midst of them. Lord, I'm thankful that you're here. Lord, I'm thankful that you're here amongst us, Father, and I pray that you're going to, through your spirit tonight, your Holy Spirit, you're going to speak to us from the word of God. Lord, use these lips, Lord, they're surrendered to you, yielded to you, Father. I pray you'd forgive me and cleanse me of anything in my life that's displeasing to you. Lord, I pray, Father, that you fill me from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet with your spirit. Lord, and just pour me out tonight for your glory. That's my heart's desire. Father, address issues that, Lord, people have in their lives that you'd have us to deal with, Father, that you'd have us to come to terms with and come to you and Lord, repent of some things that, Lord, are hindering us from walking with you like we should and growing and being a servant that we ought to be and obeying you and following your commands. Father, help us tonight to line ourselves up with your word. Father, I just pray that you'll please pour out your spirit here amongst us. Give us unction tonight to speak freely from the word of God. And we'll give you all the praise and the glory for it because it's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. All right, praise God. Verse 19 tonight, chapter 13 of, of Proverbs, it starts off, it says, The desire accomplished is sweet to the soul, but it is abomination to fools to depart from evil. When, when we get, when we have a desire in our heart, something we want so bad, and we talked about this, you know, hope deferred maketh the heart sick, but when the desire cometh, it's a tree of life. We've looked at that in chapter 11, verse 30, but but again, God's repeating the same thought, that when we get our desires fulfilled, especially, especially when we accomplish them through hard work, especially when we accomplish our desire through, through discipline, through, through sacrifice, when we finally achieve that which we're trying to achieve, it's sweet to our soul. That's what the Bible's telling us there. It, 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 brings, it brings about satisfaction in life when we accomplish something. We've reached the goal. So, we, you know, we, we, we wanted to work to get us a new, uh, a new car. We finally got that, got slid in that new car with that new car smell after years of driving a jalopy down the road and keep having to fix it. We finally got there. And we finally built that house. And we finally, whatever we were doing, and we finally, uh, we finally graduated from college. And we finally, whatever we were trying to do. Or we finally started walking with God the way we ought to. When we reach accomplishments in our life, it, it's sweet to us because, you know, we do when we can look back and we see the desires accomplished in us. And the desires of good men are set on good things. 
and they rejoice when they reach their goals. You know, even in our Declaration of Independence, it lists our rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's reaching the desires that we have, achieving those. And it's not just, that ain't talking about just, you know, boy, I'd be happy if I had an ice cream cone. You got to, hey, what's that talking about? It's talking about something deeper than just fleeting desires. It's talking about the desires that God puts into our heart, the, 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 the right to exist and live and, and serve him and, and, and chase after God, chase after that relationship with him. That's what brings about peace and joy and happiness in our life. Well, not actually happiness, because happiness is circumstantial. I have to remind myself of that. Happiness doesn't come from God. Happiness comes from others. Joy comes from God. And, uh, of course, I can find happiness in serving God, because I'm serving others and helping others. Uh, but, but, again, our founding fathers, they recognize that we have in us a desire to accomplish worthwhile goals. And that's why it was put that way. It was wrote down in the Declaration of Independence. And God here... Again, he's not describing our desires for fleeting things, for trivial things, but for the meaningful things of life. Psalm 4, 6, and 7 says, There be many that say, Who will show us any good? Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and wine increased. Who will show us any good? God God will. God will make sure that we, God, if we're serving him and if we're obeying his God will give us the wisdom. God will give us the courage. God will give us the... God wants us in life for him. God wants us to be a, to be a blessing to others. And when we, when we achieve that desire, and the Bible tells us it's sweet. It's sweet to the soul. Again, David called it gladness in his heart. Amen? But the Bible says, on the other hand, it's an abomination to fools to depart from evil, just the contrary. You know, the opposite of, of following evil is to, to do good and follow God. But to, to, a, to a fool, you try to tell him, man, you try to explain to him, listen, you will have a good life, man. Leave that wicked, criminal, uh, deviant lifestyle behind and come and follow the Lord. Live for Jesus. I said, no way, man, that's crazy. I wouldn't do that. That's foolish. That's stupid. I'd give up my whole life. I'd, have, I'd give up all the fun in my life. A fool is so in love with his or her evil that they regard it as a terrible thing to depart from that evil. And it shows that, that, that evil and folly are not problems just on the surface. They're bound up deep down within a person's being. It ain't just a fleeting thought they have. No, it's something down deep in their core. G. Campbell Morgan said, men will not pay the price of departing from evil and so fail of the sweetness of fulfilled desire. They'll never know what it's like to, to live a life that, of, of spiritual satisfaction and the joy of the Lord. They'll never know that because they're, they spend their time chasing after evil. Um, then we get down here in verse 20. Let's keep on going. I'm going to try to cover some ground in that. In verse 20, we see the wise fool versus the foolish fool, or fools. Uh, it says, he that walketh with wise men shall be wise. Now, that's not talking about somebody that gets out and gets exercise every morning. I know y'all know these things, but I'm just, I'm saying this for the benefit of people that want to. 
this what this means. People that people they got ain't gonna pick up a King James Bible in their life and I talk like this, they can say, Well that don't make no sense, would it? They go around the track, get an exercise, you walk with wise men, that'll help you too. It wouldn't hurt, yeah. If you if you say every day I go walking with wise men, you better get some good out of it because you're gonna talk to them. But walking is a metaphor for your lifestyle. And that's what you know, y'all know what that means. Walking is, is the way you conduct yourself. Proverbs one fifteen says, My son, walk not thou in the way with them, refrain thy foot from their path. It's talking about walking with controlled, walking with violent men. We're not to conduct ourselves in that manner. Walking refers to a, to a person's lifestyle's condition. Uh, it refers to the condition of their lifestyle. In other words, the testimony. We're not to we're not to to walk we're not we're not to walk with wicked men we're to walk with wise men in other words our our, our lifestyle our testimony ought to be that of those wise men we ought to we ought to get around them and find out what they know and, and get to know God that they know I mean we need to spend our time talking to those who are closer to God than we are we're talking about that on the way over here you never when you when you're picking somebody to be friends with the best thing you can do is pick somebody who's a little closer to God than you are. Because you go, because it's that way you grow. If you always pick companions who are who are further from God than you are, you'll get backslid. That's just the way I was telling her. Well, I was telling tell Mom, I said, I was telling my my boys that ain't married, marry a girl that's closer to God than you are. She said, but why would you want to do that? <laughs> I guess it didn't make sense coming out of my mouth. I said, because listen, you don't want to marry one who ain't, because then you're going to be pulling her up the whole time. You need that 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 that, that testimony is so crucial. Talking about walking again, it refers to the condition of, of your lifestyle. It refers to the conduct of your lifestyle. That's what other people see. It refers to the character of your lifestyle. That's what God sees. That's what everybody. That's what nobody. That's what you hide from everybody else. But what God sees when ain't nobody around. And then there's the consequence of your lifestyle. But he that walketh as wise men shall be wise. Yes. Earl Nightingale, again, I mentioned him before one time. He was a speaker back there in the 60s. I don't know if any of y'all may have heard his name, remember his name. Uh, motivational speaker or whatever. In the world. Probably a 20-minute speech he gave, black and white film. And he said, the strangest secret in the world is this. What men are around most, they become. And, and the reason he was, he was saying why, why men in a small town, they all wind up doing the same thing. Nobody ever tries to be anything because everybody follows everybody else. And, and, and so he was trying to motivate people to, to achieve more in life. But, again, if you, if you always hang around people who are just like you, you'll always be like you are. You'll never grow. So, so walking with wise men will make you wise, God is saying. So if you want to be good, you have to keep good company. Men's character is known by the company we keep. You know, if you hang around a rough crowd, people will say, you you rough too. Because, again, what does it say? Uh, bad manners? I can't remember that saying. But anyway, it don't make a difference. <laughs> um, but, again, you lay, my daddy always said, if you lay down with dogs, son, you're going to get fleas. And that, that's pretty much it, you know. You walk through the hog pen, you're going to come out stinking. 
<clears throat> but good company will be a means of making a person better, showing them the way, urging them, encouraging them to do right. If you want to be wise, you have to walk with wise men. You have to spend your time around them. You need to choose wise men to be your friends and talk with them and pick their brains about things. Ask them and, and seek wisdom from them. Be willing to take instruction and correction alike, whatever need be. Because in the second half of that verse, it says that he that walks with wise men should be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. A companion of fools shall be destroyed. You know, the one that runs with the party crowd. Proverbs 28, 7 says, Whoso keepeth the law is a wise son, but he that is a companion of righteous men shameth his father. I know there, there ain't no good daddy in the world that wants to be woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning from the sheriff's office and his son is drunk and in a jail. I can tell you right now, I remember many years ago when I was a young, young man, I was in jail, but it wasn't because of partying. It was, it was a whole, it was a whole confusing thing over a narcotics dog, and it was that tried to attack me on our property, which I shot. Didn't know it was a narcotics dog, but anyway, that's a whole other story. But I didn't. All I did was defend my horses and my dogs. But I ended up in jail on account of it, and I got out of it. I didn't get. I didn't. I mean, that's a heck of a thing to announce on a Wednesday night on a on a broadcast. But it was a long, long time ago that I didn't serve any time because I was acquitted. But what I'm trying to say is, while I was in there, there's a fellow in there that I knew, and I knew his daddy. And his daddy's a good church-going man. And his daddy came down to bail him out that morning. And I found out what he was in for. He had gotten drunk on tequila the night before and went out to old Del Mar High School. It was still a high school at the time, and he busted out all the weapons in it. But he was drunk. You know what? That fellow who was a good church-going deacon, I guarantee you that's the last thing in the world he wanted to do is come back his son out of jail. That was a shameful thing. The Bible says he's companion of life. It's me a shame at this father. Companion of fools shall be destroyed. You know what? I praise God, though, that man right now, that man right now has got his life together, and I give God glory for it. But, you know, God, God has done a tremendous work in his life, but without God, he'd, be a, he'd, be, he'd still be a fool. He that associates with prostitutes shall be destroyed. It's in the Bible, too, Proverbs 29, 3. It says, Whoso loveth wisdom rejoiceth his father, but he that keepeth company with harlots spendeth his substance. That's the one that hangs out in the bar room all night. That's the one that runs around with loose women, hangs out in the honky tonks all night, or wherever they found. That, that that's that crowd. That's the one that associates with with, with loose women. They, they, the Bible says he spent at the substance. That's what happened to the. That's what happened to old to old uh, to old prodigal son. He went down there to the big city, and boy, there was a bunch of old dance hall girls cornered him up and said, "Hey, we got plenty of places you spend your cash." He'll, he'll be brought to shame. He'll be destroyed. They'll take everything he's got. We know what happened to that story. He wound up down on his knees trying to eat, trying to eat hog food, had nothing left. Now, listen, you hang around with the party crowd, you run around with the loose women, you hang around with the hothead. Proverbs 22, 24, and 25. Make no friendship with an angry man, with a furious man. Thou shalt not go, lest thou learn his ways and get a snare unto thy soul. God gives us enough sense to stay away from people like that. If you don't want to be like that, don't be with it. Because their ways will rub off on you. 
<clears throat> Many a man is brought to ruin by bad company. A companion of fools will be broken, and then he will be known to be a fool himself. He's known by the company he keeps. Their ways rub off on him, and soon they'll make him just as wicked as they are. You know, criminals have a compass. People end up going with them, and they end up getting in the same trouble. You know, getaway drivers, they didn't pull no gun. They was just there. I, I didn't know we was going to rob that bank. I, they pulled up there and told me to stop, and then they come running out there with the bags, and I said, go, 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 and I just went. You didn't know, did you? You just showed up one day. You selling trickers. You, I mean, you selling Girl Scout cookies, and they caught you up in it, didn't they? Now, you hang around with wicked men, you wind up doing wicked deeds, you said. You know, the Bible's pretty clear on it. First Corinthians fifteen thirty three says, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. That's the verse I was trying to find a while ago. You stay around people who are doing wrong, it's going to corrupt you. In other words, even though you may have been taught right, you begin to give and compromise on everything you know. Verse 21, Evil pursueth sinners, but to the righteous good shall be repaid. Evil pursueth sinners. In this verse, trouble is personified as a hunter. Trouble's coming after somebody. I have been in crosshairs myself. I know you probably have too, amen? Felt like trouble was following you, chasing you down. But, I, but listen, it, and listen, some days it comes out, and sometimes trouble gets after us too, amen? But the Bible says trouble pursues sinners. I mean, it's like a hit man. They're going to hit his target. He's going to knock him out. I mean, he's coming for him. Evil is coming for you if you if you're if you're living uh, if you're living an ungodly life. The harm that the that the evil man does to others, it turns around to chase him, to hunt him down, to overtake him and destroy him. Proverbs eleven nineteen says, "As righteousness tendeth to life." So he that pursueth evil pursueth it to his own death. The evil that he pursues in order to gratify craved appetites, now it turns around and hounds him to his death. You know, I don't think that's the way people feel about it when they first go off into the evil lifestyle. They, they think, you know, I'm just going to reap the benefits of this. But they don't realize they're going to have to live with the thoughts in their head. And also, the people that they have abused, don't they think that it's called sowing evil? Guess what? You're going to reap a crop. You sow to the wind, what the Bible says you're going to reap? The whirlwind, that's right. Yeah, I mean, you sow to the wind, you reap a tornado. That's what God's saying, essentially. So, yes, you pursue evil, evil's going to pursue you. And, uh, like I said, whoever God pursues, he's going to overtake them. When he sends that evil after them, it's going to get them. There ain't no running from it. They may prosper for a while. They may get very comfortable in their sin. But as the Bible says, their damnation slumbers not. It's going to come, and they can't run from it. But the Bible says, on the other hand, to the, to the righteous, good shall be repaid. Good, good here is personified, too. It's personified as a, as a benefactor that rewards the righteous. <clears throat> the blessings and the benefits that the righteous command 
and bestowed on others in his life, in turn, come back to him with the same or similar benefits. In other words, he sowed good things, he sowed blessings to other people. Guess what happens? You know what? If you spend your life giving and helping and loving and caring for other people, then let yourself get in a bad shape, let you get down, let you get on up into your tech care. Guess what? You've helped so many other people. Those people are going to love you back and take care of you in return. And you know what? Even if they don't, God will. Amen? Because I, I can't say it always happens that way because I, I, I've done a lot of nursing home ministry. So I can't say it always happens that way because I know sometimes people's kids, they turn on them and they're rotten and they never they never do right. But you know what? God will bless you. God will put other people in your life that will be good to you in their, in their stead. Um, that good will be repaid. Matthew 10, 41. You know what? I said, man may not repay you, but listen to what God says. In Matthew 10, 41 and 42. He that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. That's what God says. And God says, whosoever shall give a, a drink to one of these little ones, a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. You bless other people, God's going to make sure you're rewarded. Hey, it may not be on this, it may not be on this platform of earth, but you know what? Someday we stand for the Lord, we're going to get that reward. Not a whole lot. I'll be honest with you. I'd a whole lot rather get reward there because those are lasting rewards that last for eternity than to have everybody brag on me and give me awards and plaques and, and, and certificates down here and medals and say, well, what a great guy you were, and pat me on the back till I got bruises. I don't, I don't need all that. I'd rather hear God say, well done. And that's what the Lord's saying. It will be repaid. Again, you may not get it here, but you'll get it. Hebrews 6.10 says, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. For ye have showed toward his name that in that, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. Again, God's going to make sure we're taken care of. Verse 22. We're just going to 25. We're almost done. We're, we're getting close. We're circling the field tonight. Got our landing gear down. 22, a good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children. The The good that comes from the righteous is enduring. It passes on from generation to generation. And the evil that destroys sinners ends up transferring their wealth to the righteous. So how's that happen? God has a way of doing that. God God does it, and it ain't, it ain't always the same. God just does it in his own way. But God makes sure of that. Wealth is trusted to the good man. Even though wealth not an indication of goodness. You can't say, well, you know, well, that, okay, so wealth trusted to goodness, so every good man's going to have wealth. No, not necessarily. A lot of good men are starving, starving to death. Ain't got much, ain't got, ain't got much to... To, to survive on, you can't always say that's an indication of whether or not somebody's good. But what I'm trying to say is God puts that person uh, that when in wealth is trusted to that good man, it's because God is trusting that person to help other people. God is blessing that person because they haven't been in a position. Um, he teaches his children to do this. A good man does. He's, he's leaving a pattern of... of of benevolence, a pattern of help, so that his children pick up and do the same thing that he does, hopefully, 
so that they can in turn turn around and leave the blessings to their children. And he's especially careful to have the blessing of God upon everything he has. He doesn't want to do things to displease God. That's the way a good man is, is supposed to be. A good man, by being good and doing good and honoring the Lord with his substance and spending it in the service of the Lord, saves it for his children. Even if he doesn't leave them much of this world's goods, what does he leave them? He leaves them his prayers, his instructions, his good example, like a Disney movie. I don't know what that was, but anyway, that Bambi was going to walk up. <laughs> but anyway, like I said, what was I? <laughs> oh, I said even if he doesn't have much money, if he doesn't have much money, he might not have much money. But you know what? I said he's left him. He's left him his prayers. He's left him his instructions. He's left him a good example to follow. And those things would be better gifts than if he'd left him millions of dollars. A good example, a good testimony, a good name, a good testimony of a Christian life, that's an inheritance that'll last and it'll endure. They'll be able to say, you remember how Grandpa was? You remember how great-grandpa was? Listen, let, let, don't, 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 don't go and ruin your family name. Be what you ought to be. I mean, listen, a good testimony is something to be valued. Psalm 103, 17, But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting unto them that fear him, and his righteousness unto children's children. <clears throat> the second half of that verse says that but the, but the wealth of the sinner is laid up to the just. <clears throat> sinner, sinner, wealth, gets as much as he can to serve his greed, serve his flesh, but he ends up he ends up putting it in the hands of the righteous, but it's by God's doing. It's not by his. Usually as soon as a wealthy, wicked man dies, guess what happens? His kids, boy, they go on spending spree. They, they, they blow that money like it's like it's going out of style. Okay, I remember years ago. I remember years ago. It's probably been 20, more, 20 or more years. Going down 25th Street over in Paris, by Oak Park Methodist, down from there. Knocking on the door, and this woman comes to the door, and she was so, so deathly sick. She had cancer. She was on her last day or last couple of days. And I remember going back to that house about two or three weeks later, and her son was there, and the door opened. And, I mean, you talk about a party going on. I mean, they was blowing and going, spending all that insurance money as fast they could, doping it up and everything else. That's, that's, that's the way wicked – that's the way the wicked do. They got no – there's no there's – no, Concern. There's no thoughts of what's right or wrong. It's just, hey, let's party. We got lots of funds. Let's just do what we want to do. And again, it makes its way back into the hands of the just. It ends up where God intended for it to. That's that's what I'm trying to say. Look at verse 23. Verse 23. The Bible says, "Much food is in the tillage of the poor, but there is that is destroyed for want of judgment." Much food is in the tillage of the poor. This verse is, is more of a reality today than it has been in recent times. We live in a society today that's dependent on the grocery store and the garden. And food prices are driven by man-made shortages. You see it all the time, you know. This facility was blown up or, or caught on fire and they lost a hundred thousand chickens here in this place, and and they lost a million chickens over here, and, 
and 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 then you see that you know they're dumping they're dumping food. I, mean, I, I saw a couple years ago. I saw pictures where these piles and piles and piles of food that's sitting sitting right. They dump they dump grain into the ocean. These man-made shortages. Why these Why do the prices go up? Well, we sabotage this. We sabotage that. You don't. You can't. You can't dig into it and investigate it because. Time one happens, time you go looking at that, it doesn't happen over here. I mean, we're living in the days of tyranny, just absolute tyranny. I ain't get up here to fuss about it and do a bunch of political stuff, but the truth of it is, tyranny is what's driving these, these food shortages. Uh, it's, 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 it's made to control people, to punish people, and for global times to profit. That's why it's happening. That's exactly why it's happening, to make people suffer. And to make people afraid and control people, push people around, uh, and make people dependent and scared and dependent, more dependent on government and less self-dependent and dependent on God. But God has provided for us a way to take care of our families and to live peaceful lives. God, God intended for man to get out and garden, to get out and grow crops. And, and we're supposed to be an agrarian society, but we're not. We're a technological industrial society. We're not even industrial anymore. We gave up on industry a long time ago, too, just about. We, and and technology is dying, too. I mean, in, in a way it is, but in a way it ain't. I mean, listen, our country is in trouble. It's going somewhere, but it ain't here. You know, California is falling apart and crumbling out there, and, and you know, our banks are starting to fail, the technology banks and everything. <clears throat> now, we've modernized ourselves into a corner of what's happening. But God's provided for us. He says there's much food in the tillage of the poor. Hard work's the answer. But most people don't want to work hard. More, most, much food is in the tillage of the poor. And the poor farmers that, that have very little, but to take care and they work it well, they've got, you know what, God will give them something. They'll have something out of it. But Genesis 3.19, you know what it says, In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread. Till thou return unto the ground, for out of it was thou taken, and dust, the dust thou art, and unto the dust shalt thou return. God intended for us to eat bread by the sweat of our face. Somebody said, let him dig, and he need not beg. So we, if we can get out there and dig potatoes, we won't starve to death. Amen? If we, just, if we just get back to the way that our grandparents did it, we'll survive. <clears throat> but the Bible says, on the other hand, there is that is destroyed for one of judgment. Like I said, tyranny, it, it, it's the usual means of sweeping away the substance of the poor that they got by hard work. In Matthew twenty six eleven, Jesus says, for you have the poor with you always. Now, he said that. Why did he say that? Well, he said that because we live in an unjust world. That's why. We live in a sinful world. And therefore, there will always be poor people because there will always be people that reject God and make poor decisions. And, and there will always be people that are greedy tyrants that make themselves rich on the backs of others. And so there will always be poor people. But, again, if they, if they keep their eyes on the Lord and they follow the Lord, there ain't no reason why they have to be because God has told us that we can, we can survive if we do it the way he intended for it to be done. Verse 24, two more. We'll make it. Well, this is everybody. This is every child's favorite verse in the Bible. Spareth his rod, hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him to the times. I hate we don't have any kids here tonight. 
always love to read this verse and watch them sit there and look at me with an evil eye when I'm talking about it. But uh, but really and truly, it's a, it's a good verse. It's not a bad verse because it says, He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. That means he whips him when he needs it. Uh, he that spareth his rod hateth his son. You know, when you love your child, you want to correct their faults because, you know, their life is at stake. You know, them having God's favor is at stake. Uh, their protection in life is at stake. They're, they're, you know, them growing up and being the kind of person that, that God would have them to be and you'd want them to be, their dignity, their prosperity, all of those things are at stake. I mean, a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. The Bible says that. We know that. So we've got, you know, you've got to, I don't know, we've all raised children. We all understand that. But there's people listening in that heaven or are doing it and are dealing with it and got some that are nightmares and they don't know what to do. They don't know how to handle it. Well, the Bible says, the Bible says that you need to spank them. You say, well, wait a minute now. The state says this. The state says, well, state, the state didn't die for your sins. The state did not die for your sins. The state did not make you. The state did not make the world you live in. <clears throat> no, God gave you those children, and God says if you spare your rod, you hate your child. <clears throat> and, and listen, this, this proverb is based on several assumptions. Number one, the home is the place for instilling values. It's not the public school classroom. It's the home. It ain't the courtroom once they get in trouble. It's the home with mama and daddy. That's the place to instill values. Exodus 20, verse 12 says, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. God says we're to honor what mama and daddy says. That means the home is where we're to find out what's right and wrong and do what they say. The second thing that, that it's based on is, is that the parents actually have values and not just opinions. You see, that's the problem today. we got grown-ups that don't have values. They just have opinions. Well, I just think this and I just think that. And they don't know anything because they have no absolute truth in their life. But if you get in the Word of God, you'll find absolute truth, and you'll find out that God has some values he wants you to live by, and they're not just opinions you can sway one way or the other on where you feel like. It's not based on your feelings, honey. It's based on the truth of the Word of God. Amen. And the third thing is this, is that foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. And all you got to do is be around one for very long. You won't, it won't take you very long to find out. They want they up to mischief. When they get quiet in the next room, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. Amen. You don't leave a little kid alone with a pair of scissors, do you? No. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. They'll have the worst haircut you ever seen in a minute. Or you won't have any blind, or your blinds will be cut up, or your drapes will be missing half of them, or, or something will be gone. You know, your dress in the closet's cut in half, whatever it is. But you don't give them a magic marker. Oh, that's, well, I'm dating myself there. Now. How long has it been since somebody knew what a magic marker was? Amen. But anyway, that's the ones you smell of and give you a head rush, right? Or a headache one. That's them old ones. Magic marker. Boy, I'm old. Amen. But anyway, you don't give a child a marker, a permanent marker, a Sharpie. I put it that way. You don't hand a kid a Sharpie and say, have fun. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. And, and you know what? It takes more than 
don't and stop it to remove them. It takes, stop it. That's enough of that. Don't you do that again. You hear me? Listen, my mama all chased me laps around her living room, front room, kitchen, and 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 uh, den. We just went round and round. She'd get a switch off a tree, and round and round we'd go till she caught me. I tell you, I needed discipline. And, I, and, and you know what? I still need it. God gives me discipline now. God corrects me now. You never outgrow discipline. You need it your whole life. But that, that phrase, spare the rod, spoil the child, comes from England, but it comes from this verse is where it comes from. God's method of raising children is to love the child, which means looking at that child and seeing that child as a gift God gave you. And that, that, that gift comes with a duty to strictly discipline that child as a gift from God. It's not yours to do with it. It's the child that God gave you to raise as he sees fit, not as you see fit. And the New Testament is in full agreement with the Old Testament on this matter. Ephesians 6, 4 says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture, which is the love, and the admonition, which is the discipline of the Lord. Hebrews 12, 5-11 says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, neither faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. God don't discipline those he loves, and he scourgeth, that means whips, every son he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. Because what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? You've got to straighten your son out. You've got to whip him. You've got to get on to him. But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. God says, you're not my child. If, if I ain't spanking you, if I'm not trying to correct you, you're not mine and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us. Now, again, God's talking about it. And have given, and we have given them reverence. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to show those who love us and discipline us reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? We ought to treat God with more respect than we should our earthly father. For they verily for a few days, up until the, what, they got grown where they wouldn't whoop us anymore because we're as big as them, for a few days, chasing us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. Nobody likes to get a whipping. It's grievous. But nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. After you get the whooping and all the crying's over with, think about what you've done. Listen, then. You become a better person. You, you move on from it. Somebody said a hard way to wisdom is better than a soft way to death. Maybe you got to learn the hard way. I did. I was a hard head, a stubborn fool, but God got through to me, and I, I thank God that I submitted. I'm as, I'm as docile as I have been in my life compared to what I used to be. Now, I was a wild buck when I was a kid, but I'm a docile old whatever I am now. <clears throat> but you see, the problem is America has failed to continue Bible standards. America has given up on the Bible. 
America says, oh, no, 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 we can't, y'all know what he said. He's saying, we can't stand for kids. Oh, you're abusing your children. You know, again, they would have us to just be hands off and let the state raise our children. You know, as Hillary says, takes a village. And what that has done is left our civilization in moral chaos. And parents hate what their children are becoming. I guarantee you people who are raising children today who don't go to church, who don't read the Bible in their home, who don't know the Lord, I guarantee you they look at their children and they say, what are we going to do with these kids? Because if they only knew what their kids were up to, it would scare them to death. And most of them don't know because they're not paying attention to see what their kids are up to because they're too busy living a life of sin themselves. And I say that tonight because, again, I know people are listening to this this message tonight, and I want to say to them, if you're living your life only for you and you're, you're living a selfish existence and you're ignoring your children growing up, and you're robbing them of a, of a relationship with God, shame on you, have mercy on your soul, and you need to get right with God. And that's all I can say to you. Get right with Jesus. Get saved and, and serve the Lord and raise your kids right so the rest of the world doesn't have to suffer because of it. <clears throat> but the problem is people have left the Bible behind. And quite frankly, they don't know what to do. They just don't know what to do about it. Last verse. Amen. I gotta hurry. I got one minute left. I don't know if I'm gonna make it, Robert, but we'll make it. The righteous eateth to the satisfying of his soul. But the belly of the wicked shall want. The righteous eateth to the satisfying of his soul. That sounds like a, a proverb about moderation, doesn't it? Righteous man steps down and sounds like it, but that's not what it's saying. It's a proverb about reward and punishment. It makes a righteous man happy when he has enough. When he understands that his, that, that, you know, you know what, he may not be rich, but he he pays his bills. He's got food on his table. He's got a roof over his head. He's got gas in his pickup truck tank. He, you know, he's got a church he goes to. He's got a, he's got uh, somebody that loves him. He's got children that are doing good. I mean, looks around and says, God's blessed me. And you know what? He's happy to realize that God's favor and blessings on his life, and he has enough. Right? The righteous eateth to the satisfying of his soul. God has blessed him. He's blessed the Lord. His appetite is satiated. It ain't, but it ain't just about physical things. It's about it's a spirit. There's a spiritual application to this too, to the one that serves the Lord and walks in His ways, and He'll always have enough for Himself and enough to share with others spiritually. God, God, the one that walks in the Lord, God's always going to bless you, and you'll always have something left to give somebody else. Man, God always gives us an abundance. He always gives that way. The Lord will never leave you wanting. You say, well, I wish God would, wish God would bless me with enough. Now, God, God's good. God, God don't make mistakes. And, and God, again, the righteous eateth to the satisfying soul. When, when I sat down and I feast upon the word of God, like I said, God will give me something that will bless me in, in my life. But again, i got enough that when I see somebody else, I can give them that blessing too. And I ain't left myself with anything less than I have. 
Amen. That's the way the word go. That's the way the, the word of God works. That's the way God's way of doing things works. God, God again, God gives to us so we can give to others, but we don't. We're not left with anything less than when He started giving. Um, the satisfying of the soul, the, the righteous needs of the, satis- the satisfying of the soul refers to it refers to physical needs, it refers to spiritual needs, and it refers to emotional uh, needs or desires. All of those things, God is willing and able to be our provider, regardless of what our need is, what level of our life, what facet or, or division of our life, however you want to put it. God is willing and able to be our provider. And those that feed upon the bread of life, that feast on the promises of God, they, again, they find an abundant satisfaction of their soul. God, God doesn't ever leave us wanting. God, he, he'll give us whatever we need to satisfy our soul. We'll eat and we'll be filled and satisfied. Amen. But the Bible says the second half of that, and we're done, that the belly of the wicked shall want. I mean, listen, if somebody listens to not they're not saved, you need to hear what I'm saying. And you say, well, don't call me a wicked man. I'm not calling you a wicked man. God calls you a wicked man. The Bible says the wicked man has an insatiable hunger that will never be satisfied. They'll always be needy. You know, you rarely find people begging on the streets. They're walking up down the streets begging. You rarely find people begging that are child of God. It's usually somebody who's trying to live on the streets. They're trying to they're trying to beat somebody out of some money. You know, again, always needy, always looking for more, always trying to get more. Wicked man ain't ain't never satisfied. Again, he wants to get all he can out of his life. You know why? Because this is the only heaven he's ever gonna know. So why wouldn't he try to get all he could? <clears throat> Their souls is never they're never satisfied. This world can't it can't fill that empty void that they have in their in their heart. They have, a, they have a hole in them that only Jesus can fill, and they keep trying to fill it with everything this world says is what satisfies, and none of it ever satisfies their, their void, their flesh. And, and the more, the deeper that they delve into sin, hear me now, the deeper a wicked man delves off into sin, the more perverted his cravings become. Because sin, you get off into sin, it'll only thrill you for a little bit. And then it gets then it gets where it don't even thrill you anymore, and and so then you then you become jaded to the thrill of that sin, and so you have to seek something darker and more perverted in order to satisfy that fleshly craving that one has. Something darker to find that high that you had from doing wrong, and that fleshly appetite is always craving more and more and more, and it, and it gets harder and, and, and thicker the further they go. That's what leads men to their destruction is that pull. I mean, listen, you, you take so you look, you look at somebody who's like with mess and the teeth are all rotted out of their head, they're dried up on, the, on their bones. And, and, I mean, you know what? And once upon a time, that was somebody's little girl. That was somebody's little boy playing in the backyard with toys. How did they come from there to where they are now? It was that craving lust of more and more seats down that road. And here's the sad part about it. They're going to always be craving. In hell, they'll, they'll be denied even a drop of water. The Bible tells us in Luke 16, 23 through 26, And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. 
and he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. And Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things in thy lifetime. And likewise, Lazarus evil things, but now he's comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed, and the thing which would pass from hence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us, which would come from them. And that, that gnawing thirst, that craving, that appetite that, he, that they'll have in hell, they'll never get relief. They'll never get that drop of water. They'll never have a moment's rest. And I'm going to say to the one out there listening to me tonight that's not saved, you don't want to go to hell for nobody. You don't want to spend a second in hell. A second in hell, you'll have an eternity of regret. Come to Jesus. Believe on him. He died for you. The Bible said he, 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 he died according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He rose again according to the Scriptures. If we'll believe on that, we'll have eternal life. If we'll trust he did it for us. I would urge somebody listening to me tonight, if you don't know Jesus, trust him tonight. Come to him, repent, ask him to forgive you of your sins, and believe unto eternal life. Amen. For the rest of us, God bless you. I'm glad you come to church tonight. Amen. Let's stand together and let's get ready to go to the house. Amen. Praise God for the word of God. The truth of it, we can't live without it. We need it every, every day of our lives. Amen. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll ask God to, to bless us and keep us through another week.